Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss nutrition guidelines for young children, effects of metal on pregnant women, and small business donations to health workers. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 66 for the week of January 4th. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Alex Ross, and today I'm going to be flying solo again since Matt is away for the holidays. Before I get too far, I do want to share a story with you that goes along with our diagnosis code of the week. Our diagnosis code this week is Y93.41 Activity Dancing. Naturally, with the New Year's, uh, I, of course, I kept it small. We we didn't do uh, a huge party like we might have in other years. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we are a holiday loving people in my family. And, and getting together is one of those things that just it, it brings us the most joy. This year, though, it was a little small uh, and we had to entertain ourselves in ways that that previous years we might not have. And, and when I say a little small, uh, I mean me and one other person. So really small. And, and typically we might do something like play uh, a board game like Risk or Settlers of Catan. But both of those games take at least three people. And uh, even though I asked, my dog refused to play. So instead we settled for uh, the only activity that I can think of for two people uh, to do on a New Year's Eve, and, and that's dancing, of course. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking, but dancing uh, is what you do. Turn on some loud music, bring in the New Year uh, in a nice rowdy way. And, and of course, I'm terrible at dancing. If you've ever seen me, uh, I kind of look like uh, what what your cat looks like when it falls into the bathtub, that kind of flailing motion they do as the water's flying everywhere. That's what I look like when I'm dancing. And, and of course, that doesn't go well when you have stuff around. So I kicked a coffee table, knocked over a lamp, and then hit myself in the face a couple times and uh, spent the New Year's getting my lacerations treated. So there's your diagnosis code of the week. This week for me, it was Y93.41 activity dancing. And with that, let's get into the news. First up, new nutrition guidelines for young children. The United States Department of Agriculture and the Department of Health and Human Services issued new dietary guidelines. For the first time, this includes recommendation for babies and toddlers. The guidelines used by health professionals and policymakers dictate much of what Americans will eat over the next five years and provide a foundation for federal nutrition programs. The guide focuses on customizing and enjoying nutrient-dense foods and beverages to reflect personal preferences, cultural traditions, and budgetary considerations. The USDA and HHS have expanded this edition to provide guidelines for infants, toddlers, and pregnant and breastfeeding women. The goal is to help Americans improve their health, no matter their age or life stage. Frankly, I'm surprised to hear that we're just now doing this. I mean, since the time when I can remember uh, taking some kind of active participation in my own nutrition, it, it was the food pyramid. Of course, that's long been 
uh, erased and changed and updated as we learn more and more about what makes up a healthy diet and, and what is accessible for Americans. So it's not surprising to me that they have continued to release these guidelines, but it is surprising to me that they've never released these guidelines for um, younger babies and, and toddlers. As someone who's not a parent uh, ever, I, I feel like I I don't really have a good grasp of this attitude, but from what I can tell, especially for new parents, that can often be kind of a terrifying experience. You know, you, you don't know anything. You're reading every book. You're talking to every person you can find. You're on online forums. You're making phone calls because you don't want to get it wrong. So this is just a, another area where it's a no-brainer providing this kind of information, especially to new parents. It should provide a critical good in general. I know with New Year's here, maybe you've made yourself a New Year's resolution of some kind to eat healthier or lose weight or or something along those lines. It's important to remember that there's two really big reasons that New Year's resolutions fail. The first is not having a specific goal. You know, the difference between uh, I want to lose weight and I'm going to lose 10 pounds Having specific goals is very important because you need to be able to measure your progress and and not doing so quickly leads to discouragement and giving up. And the other one is is framing your New Year's resolution in a positive way. That's how you should do it. Um, One of the reasons that resolutions fail is because people frame them in the negative. And, And I don't mean good versus bad. I mean, literally... You should make your resolution, I will lose weight, instead of, I will not eat fast food. Framing it in the negative sets yourself up for a failure. It doesn't give you a way to progress. It just, you know, you fail once, and then, well, I already messed up, so I might as well. And then your whole resolution disappears. Next up, keep metal out of reach of children even before birth. A new study found that exposure to certain metals may disrupt pregnant women's hormones and increase the odds of pregnancy complications. Researchers analyzed blood and urine samples from 815 women in Puerto Rico. There is higher metal exposure in Puerto Rico than in the continental United States because it has higher rates of Superfund sites. The women were enrolled in a long-term study of environmental exposures. The research found that some metals may disrupt the endocrine system, which regulates hormones. These disruptions may increase children's health and disease risk at birth and later in life. Women in Puerto Rico have significantly higher rates of preterm birth and other adverse birth outcomes. Extreme weather events such as hurricanes, droughts, and floods may also result in elevated exposure to Superfund sites. I know I was discussing with our producer a little bit about Superfund sites before recording this podcast, Um, and I was actually born in a town that has a pretty significant Superfund site, and uh, I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a second, but um, there's kind of a, a running joke, or maybe it's partially true, that the reason my entire family is so short is because of this Superfund site. 
I don't know if that's necessarily true because uh, it could entirely just be the fact that my grandfather is only five foot tall or the fact that my grandmother was only five foot two. Or maybe it was the other side of my family who was five foot and five foot four. But I'm happy to blame it on some heavy metals um, in the water, if that makes me feel better. We've known for a long time that heavy metals can be quite dangerous, especially to unborn babies. The one you might think of easily is, is lead exposure. We know that lead can cause uh, some pretty big brain damage. It can cause birth defects. What we're finding with this study is that there may be some more indirect damages caused by other metals. It's not so much that the lead is damaging the brain of the unborn child. It's that this metal is impacting the hormones of the mother, which in turn relates to more damage to her child. This kind of indirect damage is really hard to study because it's it's hard to control those experiments and measure the changes versus the exposure. Superfund sites are definitely something that aren't going away, and they take a very long time to mitigate. I mentioned that I was born in a town with one, and this Superfund site is the result of uh, a company that didn't take the necessary precautions to dispose of pesticides and fertilizers. And as a result, it polluted the river, which then polluted the general community. This happened back in the 70s, and and uh, years later it was designated a Superfund site. And here we are, almost 50 years later, and the water is still too toxic to swim in. Can't eat the fish. The last time I saw a bird in this town, uh, I don't know if I ever have, because these pollutants just wiped out food supplies and the birds moved on. And the ones that didn't got exposed through, you know, the worms in the soil and died. So Superfund sites, not going away, and, and understanding the effects of them, definitely going to be critical. And our final health-related story today is small businesses helping in a big way. Michigan-based business The Right Scrubs and professional apparel company gave over 800 frontline workers free scrubs this holiday season. Instead of hosting its annual year-end sale, the small business wanted to do something for the community. They donated over $35,000 worth of scrubs to healthcare workers at a drive-through giveaway. The company planned to give away five pairs to each healthcare worker who stopped by its Battle Creek storefront for a week. Medical professionals only had to show their employee badge to receive them. But instead of only a few hundred health workers, the store had over 800 medical professionals show up. I do hope that they allowed them to pick whichever scrubs they wanted. I always enjoyed when my doctors would wear, uh, my doctors, my nurses would wear scrubs that told me something about their personality. So I'd have uh, my nurse comes in and, and she has Looney Tunes on her scrubs. And that provides that little bit of connection, that little bit of of personal relation between me and, and this nurse. 
we get to share a little bit of ourselves because I like Looney Tunes too. So I do hope that they they allowed them to choose their own patterns and maybe they had some fun ones, maybe some licensed characters. There's your feel-good story for the year. And I'm sure it's not the last time that we'll see a, a local company stepping up to help our healthcare workers. And with that, let us get into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol, where we go over the latest in cybersecurity breaches, both in the U.S. and around the world. First up, fast-acting pharmacy. GenRx Pharmacy has warned over 137,000 patients of a potential data breach. The recent security alert from the company said that it found evidence of ransomware in September. It immediately began an investigation and was able to remove the unauthorized access on the same day. But GenRx later discovered that malicious hackers were able to remove a small number of files that included health information. Of all the patients notified of the breach, less than 5% of customers were potentially impacted. The pharmacy isn't aware of any actual harm to individuals as a result of the situation. It's sending information to affected patients about protecting against possible harm. Certainly doesn't sound like they're uh, putting in a lot of effort uh, in protecting their patients. Oftentimes, Matt and I, we like to talk about whether or not the reaction sounds good enough, right? I, I just want to, I, I don't want to get into that today. I want to emphasize that as a healthcare provider, you possess valuable and private information. The best way to prevent having a bad reaction is to just prevent it from happening in the first place. And our final Breach Patrol story for today, NetGallery amps up security. NetGallery suffered a data breach that may have revealed personal information to hackers. The company became aware of the issue when its homepage was defaced. After further investigation, NetGallery realized that there was unauthorized access to the backup file of its database. There was a temporary lapse in security protocol for one of the testing servers, and the credentials became easily accessible by a hacker. NetGallery prompted all users to update their passwords. It resecured all testing sites, updated security protocols, revised its database backup procedure, and added new security features into the site. The site was patched with new password security, and the impacted testing server has been locked down. For the most part, this sounds like a, a pretty standard reaction. Unfortunately, coming from a mistake. Oops, we didn't secure that server. And oops, someone was waiting and ready to come in. It's like when you go home at night before you go to bed, you lock your doors. Because there might be that person who just comes by and wiggles the door handle. And if it's unlocked, they may come on in. That's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news. From the Bandage Podcast team here at eTactics, looking forward to a fantastic 2021. Thanks for joining us. I'm Alex Ross, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative, web-based solutions 
that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.